0: It's
1: the Mike Missanelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.
0: Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to a special edition of the Mike Missanelli podcast as we do podcast episode number 74, Friday, April 28th. Day after the NFL draft where the Eagles stood in, hit a high fastball and drove it over to center field wall. An amazing draft for the Eagles. We'll get into it in a second. The Mike Misnelly Podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. And a reminder, this podcast will soon be going video. We'll keep you abreast of the situation. Uh, all the equipment has uh, been ordered, uh, and it'll be installed in my little home studio here so you'll be able to see and hear the Mike Misnelly Podcast uh, on uh, whenever we do it. And uh, this week, we are doing three podcasts because of the special circumstances. So let's get into it. Last night, the NFL draft. Now, we, we, we looked at the, where they could go with 10. And uh, the one thing that I was consistent on is that if Jalen Carter slipped, the Eagles are going to be proactive in moving down to get him. Now, they only had to move down one spot, which was really interesting to me because Jalen Carter slid, and we know why he slid, for obvious reasons. A lot of people on Twitter, for some reason did not know about the circumstances. I, I was answering questions last night on Twitter uh, about, uh, well, why is he sliding? Well, it was pretty well known why he was sliding. He had that incident where he was drag racing and and two people were killed in an accident because of the drag racing situation. And also on his pro day, he was way out of shape and gassed and cramped up and couldn't finish his workout. So people say, well, uh-oh, red flag, this kid's not dedicated, he's immature. But here's the thing about, Jalen Carter that's a little different. This is not like a drug situation. It was very unfortunate and tragic what happened in that situation. Um I know a lot of kids that growing up they would drag race, right? Because they because they're immature. They 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 were they were idiots about it, right? So uh to me that's that's a curable situation where at, at age 21 the kid is now going to be surrounded by pro players by uh veteran pro players on the Eagles, by a coaching staff, like 20 people long. And he's got his ex-teammates there with a little more familiarity. So I, I don't think that is a major problem. And certainly, with all the training staff they have and, and the the ability to train guys and get in NFL shape, I don't think that would be a problem either. I mean The, the out-of-shape thing when you're a kid and you get away from your, your coaching staff at Georgia – and you get a lot of shade. That's not going to happen in the NFL. And if it does, you're not going to play. So uh, I don't think either of those were were red flags enough not to take him. Now, I don't know that the Eagles thought he would get to them. I, I really thought that they were going to trade back uh, after uh, it, 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 you know, their original plan, thinking that Jalen Carter wasn't going to be there. Once he was there, it really was a no-brainer to take him. And I I know there there are naysayers out there. There's always going to be a naysayer. Well, take this guy. He's a risk. Well, guess what? He may have been the best player in the draft. A lot of people say he's the best talent in the draft. So uh, when you look at the infractions and you bounce them out against, he could be the best player in the draft. It's certainly worth a shot to take him. They couldn't have done any better at at position 10. And and one of the things I thought was uh, that helped this whole situation was uh, that Seattle took the cornerback, Derek Witherspoon. Uh, I did not expect him to be the first corner taken off, much less that early. So that really uh, put the, the the Eagles on alert to the point where it was a possibility they'd get Jalen Carter. So I don't know how many people stayed up that late to see the, the second pick in the first round, the 30th pick. Uh, once B. John Robinson was taken at eight, that was out the window. It was a pipe dream to think he was going to slide to the 20s the Atlanta Falcons took them. They like taking dynamic offensive players. They got the tight end last year to Kiff March, Wood. They take this guy who, who's really going to be sensational pro. I think BJ Robinson is going to be a stud. Uh, but once those two things happen, there it was in front of them. So they get to nine and they get Jalen Carter. And then at 30, they wait it out. And Nolan Smith all of a sudden is available to him. A, a really fast rushing defensive end. They prize that a lot, uh, and my my only concern there is he's light, and he's kind of a Reddit clone. So you got, you got two light but quick defensive ends, and if I'm the offensive coordinator against the Eagles, I run right at those guys. I'm absolutely, you know, if I've got two guys that are likely to run at them uh, and try to negate their speed uh, by, by trying to overpower them with big offensive linemen, we'll see if that happens. But the, the important thing is the Eagles have a tremendous rotation now. On their defensive line, which which they value considerably. Now, if you look in the middle, you you got you got Jalen Carter, and 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 you got uh, Jordan Davis, uh, two uh, former Georgia teammates, uh, right in the middle, with Fletcher Cox and Milton Williams in that rotation, Uh, and then and then you got Josh Sweat on on the one side, uh, with Nolan Smith, and then you got uh, Hassan Reddick with uh, Brandon Graham on the other side. That's pretty pretty deep, and I don't know what happens to Derek Barnett in this situation, but that's pretty deep uh, defensive line, and that's what they value. So, you know, things are looking up for the Eagles, and I know they don't prize linebackers. They'll probably grab a linebacker. They'll probably grab a running back as the draft goes on. They'll probably draft a a cornerback in this situation as as well. But uh, to me, uh, a total home run for the Eagles. I can't sit here and criticize it at all, and that's unusual for me because I can usually find something – to be critical about when it comes to the Eagles draft. So let's call in producer Darren, NFL football expert. Uh, Darren, um,
1: what did you think? I, first of all, it's, it's just amazing to me. because There were so many years where, when Roseman would draft. You know, we would say, my cousin, everybody I know would say, just take SEC guys, just take it. That's the farm system. And then, you know, he would take a linebacker with one eye and, and multiple ACL injuries from some small school trying to outsmart everyone. And he really seems to have learned that the SEC is where you go to pick the real fruit for the NFL. Alabama, Georgia, LSU, those defenders, those guys are the meanest, biggest, strongest players in college football. I think it's incredible that he has. Uh, we lose Hargrave. I was not a Kaiser White guy. I told you last year that he needed to be replaced by Nicole Dean. They're going to, they're going to, this defense is front seven is going to be better than last year. And last year, yeah. they were an absolute tidal wave. They were a tidal four, wave. Four
0: uh, Georgia Bulldogs from the best defense. Uh, you, you can't argue with that philosophy, yeah. that you're the best defense in college football. And, and you've, you've gotten four of those guys who were, were all important players for that defense. So, to me, solid A-plus draft for, uh, for the Eagles. Now, a couple other views. I, I thought it was really uh, – it would have been really interesting if B. John Robinson had gotten to 10, we'll never know, obviously what would they have done? If B. John Robinson was there at 10. Now we, we both said they weren't going to take a running back as enticing as it would have been, but we'll never know now whether they would have grabbed B. John Robinson at 10. Uh, and and the other thing I think was weird. I don't know what the Detroit lions are doing. Uh, they, they take Jameer Gibbs at 12. And that kid is probably an early second round pick. Nice player. But to reach for him at 12, when, you know, you've got DeAndre Swift and uh, and you've got uh, another guy, I mean, they're they're pretty solid at running back. It's, like, redundant that they would take Jameer Gibbs at 12 uh, after trading back. Um, I, they, think, they I could, think the Lions they, did they lose a running, running back, back in free
1: agency. I don't know which, they, what his name is, but I think they did lose it back. But nobody of significance. Uh,
0: yeah, but uh, they they also B. John Robinson was there at six. So they were there running back. I mean, I know they got a little extra by moving back to twelve, and Jameer Gibbs. But there's a wide difference between B. John Robinson and Jameer Gibbs. So if you wanted running back, why not stay at six and and take uh, uh, B. John Robinson? But they didn't, and that's their problem. Uh, the Lions, um, I don't care about them. And uh, so let me let me just go into this because it, it needs to be said. It has nothing to do with the Eagles, but uh, Will Levis uh, passed on through the first round. Now I, I did a little analysis on uh, what teams, uh, could have taken him. Uh, and so let's, let's go down the list. I don't, I don't know why people stayed away from him. I, I really don't. I, you know, first of all, the Colts decide that Anthony Richardson and they were in love with Anthony Richardson. Hey, God bless you. Anthony Richardson played 13 games in college football could Really Couldn't get a job. Wasn't that spectacular? So all right, uh, you know, as it w- Levis was much more accomplished, and I think it there it points out, and I'm I got my tongue completely in my cheek for this comment. It points out uh, how devalued the white quarterback is anymore. I mean, it's just like <laughs> the white the white quarterback has no more place in NFL. <laughs> now that's now that's a joke. All right, I'll get all crazy. I'm not about. So that. Levis, <laughs> Levis gets gets passed on. So so let's go. Uh, let's look at at, at the, the drafting teams that probably could have used them. All right, so I'll go down it, and you decide for yourself whether they could have used them or not. So let's start with the Seahawks. They had Geno Smith. They take uh, Devin Witherspoon, the cornerback. Now, all right, Devin Witherspoon probably could be a a starter. However, how long do you think Geno Smith is going to last? I mean, he's got a three-year deal, and it might have been a flash in the pan anyway. So, like, wouldn't it have been nice to have a guy who would be the, the 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 quarterback in weight? I don't know. The Seattle Seahawks decided not. All right, so the Raiders have Jimmy G. The Falcons have Desmond Ritter. Uh, I believe that Levis is a better player Desmond Ritter, but you couldn't o- overkill that position. Obviously, the Eagles aren't going to take him. The Bears have Justin Fields. The Titans have Malik Willis. So no room in the end for him there. Now let's get to the Lions. They have Goff. The Packers have Love. The Steelers have Pickett. Uh, the Jets have Rogers. All right, now let's get to the Commanders. The, the Commanders have Sam Howell. Now, uh, seriously, are you gonna you are gonna tell me that you'd rather have Sam Howell to groom than Will Levis, who's got many more tools than Sam Howell? If I'm the Commanders, I say see is Sam, and, and I move on to what do I think is a better quarterback. But they didn't do that. Uh, they took uh, they took a cornerback who wasn't projected. Uh, really, to go that high. I like that kid, by the way. The kid from Mississippi State, who's like long and lean, like 6'2, 166 pounds. So maybe that's an excellent pick because he's got great range and he intercepts the ball. The Patriots, Mac Joe's, I'm not so sure he's better than Will Levis. Uh, the Lions, obviously, the net pay. Now, I'm not at 19. Uh, seriously? The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to ride with Baker Mayfield? Now I took uh, Kalisha, uh, um Cansey there, who's probably going to be a good player, defensive tackle. So it's not like they lacked anything. But you don't need a quarterback there. Um, uh, Seahawks, Chargers, obviously have Herbert. The Ravens, Lamar. The Vikings, Cousins. How long is he going to play? You know, what wouldn't that have been a good pick for for the Vikings to put him in storage to take over for Cousins? I don't know. The Giants have Jones. The Bills obviously with Allen. The Cowboys have Dak. Uh, the Jags of Trevor Lawrence, the Bengals with Burrow, the Saints with Carr, uh, and the Eagles and Chief. So, uh, if you're looking at the the spots, it, it it you know the Commanders certainly could have taken them uh, at their position, and the Bucks at 19, I I thought also uh, could have taken them. So anyway, the poor kid, you know, you got to read the tea leaves here. Once you get to these teams that don't need a quarterback, you got to leave the room, son. You got to go backstage. You can't. You can't be the Aaron Rodgers where the camera's cutting to you and your poor family and your blonde girlfriend there and, and, and you're looking embarrassed. I mean, you got to get out of Dodge. You got to go to the back room, get yourself a coffee. You know, let, let the, you know, you and the parents, get out of there. And if they call you in the first round, then you can come back. But that's like the agony. That's like the acid drip for you, my man. Uh, and he had a nice white suit on, too. His, his girlfriend had the white, uh, you know, the the ivory uh, look. Uh, the poor kid. All right, uh, anyway, that's the way it goes uh, for your Philadelphia Eagles draft and my draft. Now, so i going to come back to uh, some tidbits on that and Mike Unleashed, which is coming up. But uh, let's preview now the Sixers Celtics because the Celtics win last night. Uh, I'll give them credit. Atlanta, uh, Hawks made a run at them, but Trae Young couldn't make a shot uh, from the third quarter on. So uh, they, they salted the game away and they won it in six. Now, when I talked about the Celtics the other day, I saw a bad window into their soul there when they lost game five at home and couldn't close out because they weren't tough enough to close it out. And that still lingered with me. Now, they went, they win last night. They beat an inferior team in the Hawks. So they win. And now the series will start on Monday. So here's the way it goes in case you haven't followed. It'll be uh, next Monday, Wednesday in Boston. Friday-Sunday games in Philly, which is an advantage for the Sixers. Those Friday and Sunday crowds are a lot nuttier than weekday crowd. So I like that. Now, the following Tuesday in Boston for game five, the following Thursday in Philly, uh, and then possible game seven will be Sunday, May 14th, at the B- TD Boston Garden. Uh, hopefully it doesn't get to a seventh game. I don't like the Sixers' chances in a game seven. I think the Sixers have to win the series in six. Are they able to win the series in six? The NB thing hangs over this series. Um. I think he's playing. I think he'll play with a brace. I think he'll be fine. Uh, he has milked these kind of injuries before. There's no way they're going to go into a playoff series with him not in the starting lineup. So I think Doc is playing some head games. Maybe he'll be weakened a little bit. Uh, maybe not. So we'll just have to wait and see. So much depends uh, on his health in this series. So let's look at this series here. The Sixers and Celtics. Boston won three games of the four this regular season there, but their average margin of victory in those three wins was 5.25 points. So the games were close. And the one game, the Sixers won and B ripped them for 52 and 13. That was their lone win. Uh, so it remains to be seen uh, how, how the Boston Celtics are going to play against Embiid. they can go big with Robert Williams who gets into foul trouble. And, and certainly Embiid will, Uh, will demolish him, uh, or they can go small by putting Derek White in the lineup. They're a great switching defense, which may cause the Sixers problems. Uh, Let's look at James Harden as a factor in this game. Uh, Harden has not been as strong to the basket as he has been in the past. We're talking about his two-point field goal percentage, his shots in the paint. Let me give you some statistics. Uh, In the four-game series against Brooklyn, James Harden, 9-for-34 on two-point attempts. We all know he's got the step-back three, and I I like it. But 9-for-34 when he gets past defenders, getting to the basket or in the paint with a little runner. He was 7-for-20 in the paint against the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, they were long and athletic and small. That's the way they played hard. And Boston is the same thing. They have a versatile switching defense where guys can play multiple positions. And the bottom line here is uh, the two guys for the Celtics when they average thirty points a game, they have some insane record, like fifty-two and six. When Tatum and Brown average thirty points apiece in the game, uh, also the Celtics three-point shot making is going to be key in this series when they hit them they win when they shoot at least 40 percent from three the record in the regular season in these playoffs is 34 and two so that's a big factor here if they're making threes um again will they go with robert williams will they go with the small lineup will they switch it up they probably will switch it up If they play white, they're going to be quicker on double teams. And uh, what what, will MB do? Will they get him in the post uh, against that in in that kind of a situation? All right, let's get to Tyrese Maxey, another major player in this series. We talked about the Sixers and their lack of depth off the bench. It does worry me, but the Anthony Melton I have no worries about. I have some worries about a slow Niang against a quick Boston team. Uh, Jalen McDaniels should be able to help defensively. Their potency off the bench is not to my liking, but Maxie is a key in the starting lineup. For some reason, he has not been good against the Celtics, probably because they have a quick switching defense and they'll cut off his penetration and his quickness. Maxie in four meetings against the Boston Celtics this year was 17 for 48. uh, and he was limited to only nine, transition shots so when he gets out on the fly we see maxi get out on the fly and score uh fast break baskets off transition uh boston has been able to limit him nine transition shots in those four games and he was four for nine on those so that's a major factor when we look at the sixers and the boston celtics right now i think the sixers can win the series i think they're going to have to win it in six games will Embiid be potent enough early in the series to give the Sixers that kind of a viable jump where they can win in six games. They have to win a game in Boston. and beat is going to have to be probably close to full strength for them to win a game in Boston. If they go down 2-0, I don't see the Sixers winning this series. Uh, so uh, fasten your seatbelts. It's another Sixers-Celtic clash. Boston will be favored in this series. They'll be favored in game one. I saw an early line where they are – a seven-point favorite in Game 1. So we just have to wait and see what's up. All right, that is the current. We talked Eagles draft. We talked Philadelphia 76ers and the Celtics as they match up in the NBA Eastern Conference semifinals. All right, it is now time for Mike Unleashed. Mike Unleashed. Is going to start today with some views on draft night. As I watched the draft night, I was tweeting. And little tidbits come to me that maybe they don't come to anybody else. I I pick up on little things that I find humorous or ironic or irritating, things like that. So let me start with the irritating. So they opened the telecast last night. Why do I have to see Rob Riggle again? There's nothing funny about Rob Riggle. Why they use him in these foolish little skits is beyond me. It wasn't funny. He's not funny. What is it about Rob Riggle that people think is funny that they would include him in a broadcast? Darren, your thoughts? I don't get it.
1: What broadcast were you watching where, where Rob Riggle's on for the NFL draft? What network was that?
0: ESPN, it was the it was the lead in where they were on a bus. It was Rob Riggle and uh and another actor. It was the the guy from oh, Modern Ty Family. Ty Burrell, the guy who
1: played the dad. Oh, Eric Stone no, Street, probably the yeah. guy because he's a big huge fan.
0: Yeah. No, uh, was it him? No, I don't think it was him either. it was the bald guy. The guy from the oh, office okay. it was, All not right. Modern Family. Guy from the office, a bald guy. Yeah, a I don't modern watch family either show, so great, it was a guy from great the sitcom. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't my right. Eric Stokes yeah, will come up later, but it was, it was Rob Riggle and this other guy. Dude, I, don't I don't get Rob Riggle either. I don't
1: think he's that funny. Uh, I watch NFL Network when it comes to stuff like that. Robert, I don't know why they have to interject comedy or, or anything like that into the NFL draft night. The event itself sells itself. I don't need to see Rob Riggle and I don't think he's funny.
0: All right. Uh, so now let's move on uh, to the panel that, uh, presented the NFL draft. The ESPN panel was uh, Mike Greenberg was the egg. Of course he was, because he does everything. (laughs) And and then it was Mel Kiper. uh, And then it was Booger McFarlane. And it was Lewis Riddick. Um, I, I, I guess these guys have been told since the NFL is a partner that you don't criticize anything that happens because every player that was taken, even guys that were taken when they shouldn't have been taken were lauded by the panel. Uh, and and Lewis Riddick is famous for for saying, uh, I tell you what, this guy this guy will stick his face in there now, and, and like like and when every when every defensive player was that like there was usually Mel, Mel Kiper in the old day would say, eh, I don't like that pick there. I mean. But we didn't get any of that. And it's all positivity. And I, and I guess that's okay because you don't want to get on anybody's bad side. The college kid's coming into the league. They should be lauded. I guess you don't want to sit there and criticize them, But maybe you throw in a little comment. Well, I think that was a little too high for that guy. You know, you just give the audience some kind of perspective, which is why you're there. But everybody was is going to go to the Hall of Fame that was selected last night. So uh, that's the one thing I noticed. Uh, all right. So did you notice – when they cut to the Arizona Cardinals draft room, our old pal, Jonathan Gannon. See, these are the kind of things I pick up that you don't pick up. Jonathan Gannon had a full suit on, and he went with the no-sock look with the full suit. Your thoughts on that look? Uh,
1: well, did he have no socks, or did he have, like, the, the no, the, you can't see socks? I,
0: I wear socks
1: too. I wear no sock socks.
0: No socks. No, no socks. The hipper and hip look, the I'm no old sock fashioned. look. I'm not that old, but I'm old school.
1: When it comes to attire, you wear socks with a suit and they match the suit, not the shoes.
0: You do have to match the suit. You could go with a crazy pattern, which eh. is also hip. Uh, but, you know, the no sock look. I don't know. I, I mean, To me, that breeds athlete's feet. You know, you get to you get to sweat. <laughs> You got the sweaty feet in, in the leather shoe. I, I, that's no, that's no good. You want to wear a ped, but see, people are going to see that anyway. So he went with the slick, no sock look. Anyway, I picked, uh, I picked up on that. All righty, a couple more fashion observations on the telecast of the NFL draft last night. Have you noticed that the high water pants are in on the suit? Have you noticed that uh, a, a lot of the the tight cut suits now? Have the shorter uh, pan. They they go to the ankle instead of the top of the shoe. That's that's another fashion um, um, uh, trend right now. Is the high water pants. Have you noticed that? See, I notice things like that. You sit there and you don't, right? You're you're all. About I football. have noticed that. Have you noticed that?
1: I have noticed. I have noticed that, but I—that's I another thing I don't really get.
0: Um, yeah, you know, it, they're not the different. longer
1: cut. I don't. It's. But it's. I don't like it an It's
0: goals. GQ. Oh. Sometimes you oh. got to follow the GQ. It's now you're an old married fuddy duddy out there in Jersey. You know, you got to. You got to follow the trends. All right. All right. Here's the other thing. Did you notice this? And I don't think this happened with any other player. So Jalen Carter gets drafted. Goodell holds up the jersey, the Eagles jersey with the one on it, right. The jersey was a JCPenney kid-sized jersey. Who the hell, that would fit around the guy's arm. Did you not notice how tiny that jersey was? The good else, hold it up. The guy's 320 pounds, Roger, for Christ's sake. All right. Now, see, nobody got, these are the things I noticed. All right, here's what else I noticed. You know, I've been a fan of this lady for a while. Before, she actually looked as good as she does now but Heidi Gardner from Saturday night live. I always thought there was something about her and she's a Kansas city native. The draft was in Kansas city. She is a chiefs fan. She came out with Eric stone street to present the Chiefs selection. And Heidi Gardner has stepped up the game. Very underrated. Heidi Gardner funny on Saturday night live underrated as an attractive lady. Are you feeling Heidi Gardner?
1: I, I only yeah, she's funny. And I, I think when a when a woman is funny, that's attractive to me. Like that's mm-hmm. like a lot of women say that about guys. I think if a woman can make me laugh, that's instantly attractive. Yeah, very
0: cool haircut on last night. I put the tweet out, Heidi Gardner period, underrated period. And I got all kinds of likes last night. So the people were digging Heidi Gardner's presentation last night. All right, let me go to Peter Skronsky. Uh, you know, this is a guy, uh, like, has to be a classic offensive line meathead, right? Northwestern, he was uh, he was drafted pretty high. He's going to be a guard, maybe a tackle in the NFL. He said to all these proceedings, F em. I'm not I'm not even going to do, do, do the fanfare. I don't even live that far from Kansas City, but I'm going with my boys, and we're going to the pizza parlor, and we're going to drink beer and eat pizza and watch it on television. You got to admire that by Peter Skronsky. But on the other hand, I'm thinking, dude, years later, you're going to regret that. You're going to regret being a hardhead. Yeah, you know what? I had a chance. That's a once-in-a-lifetime situation. I get called up to the podium. I can get the the, the bro hug from Roger Goodell. You're going to regret it, Holmes. So I hope that pizza was good, and I hope your friends weren't J.O.'s. All right? That's Peter Skronsky. And uh, I think that's about all of my observations on draft night for Mike Unleashed. So let's go to the second topic, which is, very, this is a very serious topic to me now. Second topic on Mike Unleashed, the Giannis situation. The Bucs lose. Now, mind you, let me give you the backdrop for this. The Bucs were the number one seed. They were supposed to go to the NBA Finals. They're playing the eighth seed, okay, Uh, the Miami Heat. It, It turns out to be the biggest upset in NBA playoff history that the one seed lost to that eighth seed. Not only that. Jimmy Butler cooked him for 98 points in, in two games. Giannis did not guard him ever. And in the clinching game where the Bucs lose at home, Giannis turns the ball over six times and misses 13, count them, 13 free throws. So after the game, the guy who covers the Bucks for the athletic says, do you think that this is a failure. Well, of course it's a failure. It's the biggest upset in NBA playoff history. So the A answer to that is, yeah, you know, we, uh, we're disappointed that we didn't come through in this particular situation and, you know, uh, wish things would have turned out differently, and you man up. But instead, Giannis goes into this diatribe where he makes the guy try to feel guilty for asking the question. And So he he gets exasperated, and then he says, uh, there's no failure in sports. There's good days, bad days. Some days you were able to be successful. Some days you are not. Some days it's your turn. Some days it's not. That's what sports is about. You don't always win. Some other group is going to win, and this year someone else is going to win. Simple as that. We're going to come back next year and try to be better, try to build good habits, try to play better. So 50 years from 1971 to 2021, we didn't win a championship, and it was 50 years of failure? No, it was not. There were steps to it, and we were able to win one, and hopefully we can win another one. And he went on and on and on about how it was a bad question to the guy. So now here's what we get. We get all the Pollyanna media people that come out of the woodwork, right, and Mark Cuban. All right, so Giannis says what he says, and uh, now turns the whole world against the god. Well, my God, those 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 villain reporters. I mean, they have they ask these tough questions, and poor athletes, they're just up there getting getting darts thrown at them. So now, what bothers me more than this is the is the Pollyanna responses from people actually in the business or so the media. So the first guy comes out of the woodwork is is Adam Schefter as if he didn't have enough to do following the NFL draft and all the moves that are being made he has to come out and comment about what a great response it was by Giannis Antetokounmpo and, and then I get to rip on our boy Kevin DeGondi comes out with a Pollyanna response on a tweet oh this is the way it should Giannis was really insightful blah 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 now <laughs> again do you think for a moment that if Michael Jordan handled it. I'm not Michael Jordan, but if if LeBron James handled it that way, the world wouldn't be, oh, look at LeBron. I can't believe he can't take responsibility. But because Giannis is a good guy, right? Oh, so it's soft pedal Giannis, hands off Giannis. It's the, it's the reporter who's at fault here. All right. So uh, this is also uh, what, what Giannis uh, had to say here. Uh, Well, first of all, let's, let's go to uh, Mark Cuban. Uh, Mark Cuban comes out of the woodwork. Now, Here's what you should know about Mark Cuban. He obviously would love to court Giannis Antetokounmpo because he tagged him in his tweet. He wants Giannis to know that he's got his back. For future reference, Giannis, I had your back. Here's what Mark Cuban tweeted. Great response. This response should be required viewing for every sports media member and sports journalism teacher and student. Headlines seeking questions that look good in a tweet of what sports media has devolved Too far, too often. It's also on ESPN and TNT to not accept this as state of the art. Of course, not all sports writers or beat writers fall into this category, and difficult questions that require difficult answers need to be part of the game. But gotcha questions are still far more common than insightful questions, and questions about actual basketball strategy are rare. How far away are we from being a better source of post-game questions? It will be interesting to see where this side of the industry goes. First of all, who the hell are you to put your two cents into what what, what sports media members and what sports journalism should look like as a team owner? Where do you get the balls to come in there and suggest that you know better? Second of all, don't you think questions in this press conference were asked about the basketball strategy? Fact of the matter is the marquee guy in the NBA right now lost his team lost to a lower seeded team in the biggest upset in NBA history. Let's not lose sight of this. Okay. It was a monumental loss. So, you, if, the, if the guy yes, it's a fa-. yes, it is a failure. Now Giannis doesn't have to say you know it was a failure. He could have talked around it. But the question itself is not a bad question in light of the context. Number one lost to number eight. Jimmy Butler cooked an entire team. Who else on that Miami team can score? It was abject failure. From every member of that Milwaukee uh, of a team, including the head coach, who couldn't combat the strategy of the lower seated team. All right, let me get more Giannis, because he went off on this whole thing. So Giannis uh, continued to go, and he, and he made this analogy about, uh, okay, the guy's name was Eric somebody, and so he referred to him as Eric. So he says, you asked me the same question last year, Eric, Okay. Do you get a promotion every year? No, right? So every year you work is a failure, yes or no? That's not even apples and oranges. It's not even the same analogy. What are you talking about? A sports writer gets paid minimal salary, and he doesn't get a promotion even if he gets a good job. But he doesn't. If if he wrote a terrible story, don't you think the editor's going to take him off the beat? Of course he is. So Giannis goes, every year you work towards something, towards the goal get a promotion, take care of your family, provide a house. I don't know. Take care of your parents. It's not a failure. I don't want to make this personal, but there are steps to success. Yes, there are steps to success. That's why you were anointed the number one seed, because people anointed you as the best team. That was the step. You had reached the top to the point where you were supposed to be the best team. So when you didn't perform as the best team, whose fault is that? The sports writers? Come on, man. I mean, this is ridiculous. I, I hate the fact, listen, some media members deserve it, right? A guy is doing his job, has to ask a tough question. You consider this a failure. All he had to do was say no. I don't think it's a failure because we were great in a regular season. We just had a bad series. Answer it that way. Don't turn the whole world against the reporter who answered the question. And you Pollyanna weirdos out there who, who, who don't know what sports journalism is about, stay out of it. These guys have a tough job. They're supposed to ask tough questions. And just because it didn't jive with Giannis, who's the good guy, that, that doesn't mean the reporter's wrong. Because I guarantee you, if LeBron James had answered like Giannis, they would be taking him apart. All right. That's my mic on leash for today. Darren, your thoughts?
1: I, I, sports writers should never have to defend doing their jobs. I mean, we've talked about this a number of occasions over a number of sports. That's their job is to ask tough questions. And, you know, it bothers me because I feel like that that some players just or some organizations want to tear that down. There's a it's almost like you're tearing down, um, you know, it's something that's righteous. Like they have to ask these questions. They have to ask the, the tough ones to get the story. If you can't take it. I'm sorry. I, I don't have any pity. I, don't, I really don't have any empathy for athletes who can't take a tough question in a, in a news conference.
0: This response should be required viewing for every sports media member and sports journalism teacher and student. You know what? F you, Shark Tank boy. How's that? And that is Mike Unleashed for today. So uh, let's close it down for today. This was just a special Mike Masnelli podcast following the NFL draft where the Eagles hit a home run. And the sister Celtics matchup will start on Monday. So we'll be back next week with the review of game one of the NBA finals. Let me tell you about an interesting event I'll be involved in. I talked about it Tuesday. If you're in the neighborhood, please show up. Uh, I will be signing my books uh, of my children's book, The Adventures of Shima the Sheba at St. Matthias Gym. And that's in Bala Kinwood as part of a really great consignment event um that uh I'm going to be part of it's it goes on uh, all weekend and uh the the event it happens two times a year and, and it's a pop-up event where uh, you can get really affordable children's clothes and and equipment and strollers and and things of that nature uh it just show up at St. Matthias gym uh look at it uh just yeah let me see if I can uh, pull it up here for you And uh, tell you exactly where you can go to get information on this. Uh, Okay. It it is uh, called the Just Between Friends Eastern Main Line. Just Between Friends Eastern Main Line. It's a pop-up children's consignment event that uh, happens to provide affordable affordable equipment for uh, families, uh, growing families, spring sale, uh, spring and summer clothing uh, provided uh, by local families for boys and girls, shoes, baby equipment, gear, maternity items, feeding and bathing supplies, bedding. Uh, Room decor, outdoor and indoor toys, sports equipment, electronics, books, games, musical instruments, toys, baby and child furniture, so much more. You got to get to it. It's at St. Matthias Gymnasium in Balakinwood. Look it up, and I'll be there from 1 to 3. Hope to see everybody there. uh, Meet meet some people that I haven't seen in a really long time. So thank you so much for listening to the podcast for today. Uh, Eagles and Sixers uh, looking good at this particular point. And the Phils are on a winning streak. We get a chance to talk about the Phillies today, but they, they finally got the 500. So that's all good. Uh, everybody have a great weekend. And we will talk to you on the Mike Messinelli podcast next week. Thanks for listening to the Mike Messinelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.